ADD Cast, episode number 52. Welcome to another episode of the ADD Cast. I'm Paul Fisher, your host, and today it's just me in the studio. <laughs> I have control of the show once and for all. I am finally in control not only of everyone in the studio. Yeah, that was me bumping the mic. Okay, yeah, apparently I'm not even in control of me. All right, well, enough of that particular power trip. Today is the last word that I'm going to have on NaNoWriMo and Nadru Rainai 2007. Joe Michkowski is joining us to talk about what he wrote for NaNoWriMo and uh, how he got involved with it. He is a NaNoWriMo winner, which means he wrote 50,000 words in the month of November, which I think is pretty fucking awesome. And uh, after we speak with him, we will have uh, a reading, a selection of uh, what he wrote for this year's NaNoWriMo. Next, we'll hear a short selection from a children's novel called I Want to Buy Google. It was written by Jayanth Paraki, who is also a 2007 NaNoWriMo winner. Jayanth responded to my request for submissions on the NaNoWriMo website forums. I enjoyed the story segment he sent me and was quite impressed. Then I read his profile and found out he also holds advanced degrees in medicine and knowledge management. He has experience in general surgery integrative medicine, telemedicine, and allied fields in biomedical ontology. Now, how cool is that? He works in the medical field and still stretches himself to make movies, and now he's writing children's sci-fi books. Oh, man, this guy's got some talent. I'll have links to his blog and his movie in the show notes. One thing you should know about I Want to Buy Google is that the characters in the story are aliens, and the child thinks Google is a toy. From this brief selection of the story, it sounds like a wonderful tale. I'm leaving the last words on the subject of NaNoWriMo and Nadru Rainai to our friend Tracy Hickman, New York Times best-selling author and soon-to-be enshrined by Hollywood author Tracy Hickman. He's got a Dragonlance movie coming out. Tracy's like one of the first people that I ever read. I think I picked Tracy up like almost right after reading Tolkien. So he's got a real special place in my heart. And the time that he's given us preparing audio for the show and, and coming on the show has just it's really been awesome. I'm going to let him have the last word. Last but not least, we'll be playing you song. This song comes to us from the Podsafe Music Network. It is by an artist named Jeff Coffey, C-O-F-F-E-Y, and the name of the song is Right About Me, which I thought was appropriate for a podcast about NaNoWriMo and Nadru Rainai. And, uh, of course, I'll throw in a couple of promos in the middle. 
just to keep things interesting. I guess that pretty much does it for me. Everything else has been recorded. You'll be hearing that as it happens, or as it happened, I guess, since this is all time-shifted media. (laughs) Okay, I'm going a little wacko today. But remember, you can't control the stimulus. Control the response. Hi, this is Ron Glass, and you're listening to the ADD cast. Okay, so um, you know that uh, promo that we're supposed to be doing for the command line? Yes. Um, since it's already so late, I was thinking about splitting some of the duties. Yeah, no, among... not at all. No? Brooke's Why not? Law. What's Brooke's Law? Clearly states that splitting development work among N programmers is expected to have an advantage that is proportional to N, but the cost associated with coordinating and then merging their work is uh, proportional to N squared. Uh, what? Uh huh. What does that mean? Uh, basically, adding manpower to an already late project just makes it later. Okay. Where did you get that from? Because I know you didn't come up with that on your own. I got it from the command line. Oh, was it one of his hacker word of the week? Yes, it was. I see. So the command line is good for not only the hacker word of the week, but also for uh, all kinds of geek news, tech news, hacker cracker news, and uh, copyright issues. Yes. Dude. I think we just did our promo. Oh, yeah. So that would be at thecommandline.net. Indeed. Hi, this is Richard Hatch, the ooh, old Apollo. I had trouble saying that. From Battlestar Galactica. Hey, who the frack wrote this? And joining me on the mic right now is Joe Michkowski. Joe recently went through NaNoWriMo and is a NaNoWriMo winner. Hi, Paul. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Joe? Very well, thank you. Glad to hear it. So, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, um, <laughs> uh, this is the first time I've ever done Nano, and uh, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. And just seemed like something that would be kind of fun to try. So, and uh, you know, uh, you succeeded. You, which yes. now what exactly do you do you have to hit in the way of a target in order to claim success to claim success you need to write 50,000 words from November 1st through November 30th wow and yeah <laughs> by the end of uh, the end of the day on the 30th you have to submit that to nanorimo.org and um, they tell you if you won excellent i'm glad to hear it so, um, what what type of uh, story did you write for Nano this year? Well, it's um, I guess it would be fantasy, sort of. It's um, and my initial idea was to write it about a fallen angel, and in order to do that, I felt that I kind of needed to to start at the very beginning. <laughs> so, I think what initially was one short story in my head ended up becoming a three part book thing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it starts off with uh, with creation, and there's a creator who um, develops the universe, so to speak, I guess. And um, it follows uh, some of the angels that are around and um, ends up with everybody's favorite angel that they love to hate, Lucifer, and uh, his fall from grace, so to speak. Cool. Um, so uh, I, I missed the the very very first part of what you said. Uh, that would make it a fantasy. Uh, I think so. <laughs> okay. I, 
are you following the the traditional uh, like Christian Judeo Christian creation, or did you make your own? Well, um, I, I was brought up Roman Catholic initially. Uh, initially, I was brought up Roman Catholic, and um, it. I guess I tend to gravitate towards that that whole concept or that story of creation, um, but. I've taken liberties with it, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, um, uh, there's a creator who, um, uh, gosh, there's a creator who walks what I had called, um, the wastes that are just nothing. And then has an idea for creation one day and makes his first angel and then makes a couple of more. And, and actually those are, the angels that he creates are the ones that um, that go about creating heaven and earth, and uh, that's where where I guess it differs a little bit. Oh, interesting! So instead of uh, God created the the heavens and the earth, uh, God creates the angels, and uh, and the angels create the heavens and the earth. Yeah, based on his plan, basically, uh, God delegates. Huh. <laughs> Well, that's kind of cool. God creates middle management. <laughs> so um, let's let's talk for a second about the um, uh, the actual uh, act of writing. Okay. Um, ha- have you ever done? Have you have you been doing a lot of writing before Nano? Um, not fiction. Uh, I you know I, like everybody. I guess uh, I've had ideas for books and stories that I wanted to tell. And I never really sat down to write them. I had written a couple of short stories. Um, but a couple of years ago, I decided to start my own website called uh, onthepod.net. And initially that was kind of envisioned for me to write music reviews and things like that. It's changed a little bit. It's not so much music. It's basically whatever I'm listening to audio-wise and then even reading and things like that. And as of late, I've kind of um, really gotten into podcast novels. So I've written up a couple of pieces on those. Um, It's really been my more writing about other people's work than doing my own creative writing. So this was was a first for me, really. Yeah, but writing is still writing. Um, Yeah. So, in order to do NaNoWriMo, you, you have to hit somewhere in the neighborhood of, what, like, uh, 11, uh, 11 to 1,500 words a day? Yeah, they have it. I think it's 1,667 words a day. That uh, They have it split up, and I think that's the, the minimum per day to hit the 50,000. Um, some days that happen, some days not so much. <laughs> And um, what did you find? What did you have to change in your life in order to make sure that that you hit your uh, your your seventeen hundred words a day or thereabouts? Um. Well, I, I guess that change had had already happened. Um, I'm married, and my wife suddenly decided that we were going to stop watching TV, <laughs> and uh, so that that. We'd already been out of the habit of doing, and it was just a lot of computer time that, you know, we would both spend online. So I, uh, at night, I kind of 
shipped into that time and um, started to write. And the other thing that I did was I would go to a lot of write-ins, um, some of which were ended up just being myself, <laughs> but uh, a bunch of writers who were doing nano in the Charlotte area would get together and um, basically just sit in a room together and write. Well, that's cool. That takes a lot of the loneliness out of it, I would think. Yeah, it was it was very social. Um, you know, and even though everybody was working, you were working together and working towards a, a shared goal. So it was it was good to know that you weren't the only crazy person in the room. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, it's actually something that I'm trying to continue um, after Nano, since we, you know it, it ended on the thirtieth. Um, I'm trying to set up a writer's group. I set up a website for it. And, uh, apparently I give good post. Um, I was elected to be the, um, uh, a co gosh, I'm sorry. I forgot what they, they call it, but I, I guess one of the co-leaders of the Charlotte group, mm -hmm. um, for 2008. So I'll be doing it again next year and um, just trying to kind of play cheerleader for people and, and get them motivated to write and see if we can get everybody out um, before November and get them interested in, in writing. Cool. Yeah. That sounds really great. So um, people can fi uh, find out more about you at onthepod.net. Is that correct? Onthepod.net. That's correct. Um and that's basically essays and things like that. Uh, for the, the Nano Writers group that I'm doing, that is actually Nano Rigro instead of Nano Rimo. So N A N O W R I G R O dot com. Cool. And um, yeah, it, it's basically set up through Blogger. It's just a very simple kind of site. But, um, you know, I try to play cheerleader on there and let people know where we'll be writing or where. I'll be writing if they want to come and, um, you know, to keep that whole writing vibe going. And, uh, I like to some other writing podcasts that I've found incredibly helpful, uh, like Merle Lafferty's, I should be writing and, um, writers talking about Matthew Wayne Selznick and just anything that I think can help. So cool. That's great information. And next up, uh, we're going to have you read an essay for, uh, from what you wrote for NaNoWriMo. Great. Before we do that, I just have one last question. Have you sure. ever heard of Nadru Rainai? Uh Yes, I have, actually. A, a friend of mine, uh, Nori, uh, or Song Jewel, I guess, as she's known, uh, kind of took part in that. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, she joined. She joined us for our version of Nadru Rainai, which is National Drunk Writing Night. Um, I had a couple of those. <laughs> yep, I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on that. I, as far as writing drunk, or yeah. as an event, and well, uh, as a uh, as a social event, kind of sounds like fun. <laughs> it you know it, whatever I I uh, I guess. Crutches are bad in general, so if you have to drink to write, it, it could kind of cause a problem. But um, in a social setting, I, I think it would be fun, and uh, I'm all up for it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, maybe uh, you'll be able to join us uh, when we pick our night for next year. 
at the end of this podcast, we're, we're going to have a uh, piece recorded for us by Tracy Hickman, okay. uh, which, in which he gives us uh, his thoughts, which he reads us a piece by, uh, and that was written by Stephen King in his book on writing. Okay. Great book. I actually haven't read it, but everybody that I've talked to tells me that I need to. So, Excellent. Well, Joe, thank you very much for joining us. And now we're going to listen to your story. Great. In the beginning, there was the creator, the darkness, and an idea. The creator wandered the darkness in his eternal existence and thought on his idea and saw that it was good. Without pause, the creator walked and brought all things around him into existence. Where there had been void, now there was light and sound. Where the Creator had tread eternity for eternity, now there was a path that he walked along. There was shape to the shapeless that would change the word. Now that there was something, there needed to be something to fill it. It was an empty gift for no one. So the Creator made the second. The second was to be the Creator's voice. She would exist to watch and write and instruct those who would come after. And there were so many more to come. The second walked the gift with the Creator, and listened to the plan as it was revealed. She heard about the time before time, and the time that was yet to come. She listened to the Creator in rapt attention, while the map of all was explained to her. In time, a time that could not be measured, all of creation was revealed to the second, and she recorded the will of the Creator. When all was silent again, they walked in each other's company through the gift, and for a time, even into the edges of the wastes that were the unused spaces. When the Creator and the Second returned to the gift from the edges of the waste, there were six more who waited at the gates of creation. The third of creation approached them and asked, What is our purpose? The Creator gazed upon the six and after a time laid his hand on the shoulder of the Second and she began to speak. I am the Second, the voice of the Creator. And you are the six to come after and give form to the plan. You exist to carry out the will of the Creator. And from his gift, create all that is and ever will be. I have been given the will. I will in turn bestow his will upon you six. With the knowledge of the will you gain through myself, you will each in your appointed roles assist in the plan of creation. The third spoke again. What are our roles, second? The six will be split into two triads, the second said. The third shall lead the fourth, and the fourth shall lead the fifth, while the sixth shall lead the seventh, and the seventh shall lead the eighth. There are to be two parts of the Creator's plan. Third, your triad will carry out the first part of creation. You three will be the builders of all things. You will fashion the will of the Creator into being and make the Word into a physical thing. With this, the second was silent. And what of the second triad of creation? The second began to reply when the creator again laid his hand upon her shoulder. She stopped for a moment and then addressed the third once again. The sixth triad will be responsible for the second part in the plan of creation, third. This will be revealed to you when you are near completing your tasks, not before. As it is directly related and even somewhat dependent upon what it is you present when your work is revealed. With this, the second motioned to both the third and the sixth, and they stepped forward. The second approached the third and placed her open palm on his cheek tenderly and smiled at him. The third closed his eyes, bowed his head slightly, and received the word of the Creator, and knew what he was supposed to do. 
He did not move when the second withdrew her hand, in order to bestow the word of the Creator on the sixth in the same manner. The Creator approached silently and placed his hand upon the still bowed head of the third. Love and purpose flowed through his hand, and the third was filled with the peace and stillness offered by the Creator that recalled the time before. The Creator approached the sixth and offered her the same gift. After the offered peace had enveloped the sixth as well, the Creator turned and neared the second once again. He offered the same gift, and when it was given, the Creator turned away from the sixth and from his second, and began once again to walk towards the waste from which he had just returned. The group stared confused after the Creator, their Creator, but the second knew he would return as she was given slightly more information in her parting touch. She turned to regard the group and instructed both the third and the sixth on how to instruct their underlings as she had done to them. With that, the roles of the six were related to each other in time through the touch of the one who came before. Much was revealed to the group in that touch at the beginning, their entire purpose for existence to name only one thing. The triad of the second half of creation learned that while they would not begin their undertaking for some time to come, they would assist in the creation of all those who would work on the behalf of the two triads, and in turn on the behalf of the creator. Through the touch of the second, the triad of the first half of creation learned of their task. They were to be the builders of creation as they had been told, but now they knew what that building entailed. What filled each of their minds with the touch of the one who came before were the plans for the most elegant of jewels. They were going to fill the wastes with light and heat and the swirling essences of all things. Their minds were filled with a blueprint that breathed in color and depth. It was the idea that first filled the mind of the creator all that time ago as he walked the waste. following takes place between it was a dark and stormy night and what would happen next only time will tell this is bauer jack this is ctu where are you we need you in the field i can't i am in the middle of a severe plot twist jack what are you talking about what i am talking about is my daily word count my goals and character development and my possibilities in getting published jack your country needs you you should be in the field no i should be writing just like Mara Lafferty tells me on her podcast. She gives writing tips, personal anecdotes, and even features published authors in interviews. It's a totally airwolf podcast. Jack, you can't be sick. My position has been compromised. Repeat, my position has been compromised. We'll send back. No! Send me an editor! Jack, you're pinned down. You should be returning fire. No! I should be listening to Mara's podcast. I should be writing. Time is short. Subscribe to Murr Lafferty's I Should Be Writing at IShouldBeWriting.com. Your life and the fate of the free world may depend on it. In a world where evil supervillains run amok and corrupt superheroes care more about their hair than justice, one woman is caught in a web of manipulation. Keepsy Branson just wants to run her bar. She doesn't want to think about her old dreams of being a superhero or her tired ambitions to save the world. But the facts remain that Keepsy and her friends have powers too, and they will soon be needed as Seventh City falls into chaos, and no one knows who are the good guys and who are the bad. Playing for Keeps is a free audiobook from Mer Lafferty. 
Available at playingforkeepsnovel.com. Platy is from the very distant planet Vaikun Palace, hitherto unknown to Earthers. Platy has landed in his private spacecraft, Visnair, along with his papa, for an unplanned vacation to Earth from Vaikun Palace, the farthest star from Earth. An unusual feature of Platy's spacecraft is it runs on particle mixture. Platy has to blow into the special socket on the dashboard to keep the spacecraft in motion. Platy, please stop screaming, implores a distraught Arugras, trying to calm Platy, who is intensively hyperactive by now. Arugras is Platy's papa, a pot-bellied man in his mid-forties. He fishes the candy from his pocket and tries to shove it into Platy's mouth. Platy gets more and more hyperactive and begins to cry loudly, attracting the attention of passers-by. Platy is impossible by now and starts running wildly in all directions. He quickly turns around a corner and with amazing speed and agility, disappears from Papa Arugras' view. Say something, anything. Test one, two, three. Anything but that. What is Stranger Things? Stranger Things is the world's first science fiction anthology series syndicated on the internet, shot and released in high definition for free. How is this possible? Welcome to the cutting edge, says Chris Miller, co-founder of Patio Books. This is great online entertainment, says Michael R. Meningay, Farpoint Media. J.C. Hutchins, author of Seventh Son, says Earl Newton and his crew are out of their minds. Stranger Things is a mini masterpiece playing right there on your screen. There are stranger things in heaven and earth that are dreamt of in your philosophy. Go to StrangerThings.tv and find out just how strange... Your world can be. Dragonhearth, as you probably very well know, is part of the Farpoint Media Group. All the podcasters of Farpoint are part of a news group which allows us to share ideas, give mutual support, and help when problems arise and generally shoot the electronic breeze whenever we feel like it. Many of these podcasters are not only readers, but writers as well, and big supporters of NaNoWriMo. 
They are also a lively bunch of brilliant, lively, humorous people who decided that NaNoWriMo and literature in general suggested the idea of also holding a Nadru Rainai, a National Drunk Writing Night. Now, I have to admit that the late Norman Mailer's career seems to suggest that this would be a valid concept as a path to art, but as a teetotaler in this group, and not even tea at that, I found a very dark, nasty side to this otherwise light piece of satire. To quote Stephen King, The idea that creative endeavor and mind-altering substance are entwined is one of the great pop intellectual myths of our time. The four 20th century writers whose work is most responsible for it are probably Hemingway, Fitzgerald, Sherwood Anderson, and the poet Dylan Thomas. They are the writers who largely formed our vision of an existential English-speaking wasteland where people have been cut off from one another and live in an atmosphere of emotional strangulation and despair. These concepts are very familiar to most alcoholics. The most common reaction to them is amusement. Substance-abusing writers are just substance-abusers, common garden-variety drunks and druggies, in other words. Any claims that the drugs and alcohol are necessary to dull a finer sensibility are just the usual self-serving bullshit. I've heard alcoholic snowplow drivers make the same claim, that they drink to still the demons. It doesn't matter if you're James Jones, John Cheever, or a stew bum snoozing in Penn Station. For an addict, the right to the drink or drug of choice must be preserved at all costs. Hemingway and Fitzgerald didn't drink because they were creative, alienated, or morally weak. They drank because it's what algaes are wired up to do. Creative people probably do run a greater risk of alcoholism and addiction than those in some other jobs, but so what? We all look pretty much the same when we're puking in the gutter. Stephen King on Writing, page 98-99 to I personally find the idea of Nadru Rainai not only a crutch excuse, but an offense to the craft. If you want to designate a night to get drunk, by all means, set them up, keep them coming, and have a blast. I will gladly stay out of your way, except take your car keys and see you safely home if you happen to be close enough to help. But must we delude ourselves that it has anything to do with better writing or art? Stephen King was an admitted alcoholic and druggie who says there were entire books that he wrote and does not remember even writing them. He also says that it's a shame, because he would have liked to have kept those memories. Stephen's been clean for some time now, and his writing, for my money, is just as brilliant and vibrant as it ever was. He didn't need the booze to write. He wrote in spite of it. No amount of drinking ever made a writer's prose better when read sober. I'm Tracy Hickman. A rampaging game master, relentless hordes of first-level characters facing certain death, and show-stopping musical numbers. It's Killer Breakfast, now available for the first time as a video podcast series. 
This season we present Phantoms of the Ravenloft, recorded at the Gen Con Game Convention and starring celebrity players Margaret Weiss, Jason Marsden, I'm a uh, horny kinder and I rode on the back of a large Amazonian woman, Ed Greenwood, What do you do? I'm a game designer. I run for the shiny object. The Dead Gentleman. Uh, if I were a fair maiden <laughs> held by an evil wizard, how would you rescue me? Go into a berserker rage. And special guest E. Gary Gygax. Burning cattle leaves down in my hole to bring the mummies to me to protect me. Visit killerbreakfast.com for online episodes. Killer Breakfast, you'll die laughing. Time. 